welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey friends, thank you for joining us again this week as we are kind of coming to the last section of a conversation, a four-week conversation that my dad and I have been having here with all of you around uh, scripture and how do we read this right. book, this Bible collection of 66 books. Uh, it made me think about the fact many years ago when I started road riding again, I was doing because I was training for this longer ride, this two-day ride. It was like 110 kilometers each day. Jeez. And I was training because I was petrified and I hadn't ridden a bike since <laughs> I was, you know, like 15 or something. So, uh, you know, when we first started doing some of the training, I was training with a friend of mine who knew what he was doing. And, you know, we started out with like 25K, 50K. But as we were working up to starting to get to our longer rides, 75K, 85K, um, you know, they were longer rides, three to four hours sometimes. And I would be okay during the ride, and then I would just crash for like two to three hours. I'd be, <laughs> Jen was like, this is taking a lot of time. You're gone for the rest, and you come home and sleep for three hours. Something's not right. And I was like, yeah, something's not right. I couldn't understand. I was bonking, just hitting the wall. And, uh, and then when I was so petrified of this, because I thought, man, we actually do the ride. I don't want to like be unconscious. God, I got to do this the next day. Mm. And we had never done a ride this long. Well, on the ride itself, I was fine. In part, I think, because we had trained, but I didn't have that bonking experience. And one of the things I realized after was, on the ride, we ate every 25 mm. kilometers. Um, whereas when we were doing the training rides, I was just using like a power gel or something like <laughs> that. You know, those weird things that they're supposed to taste good, but they really don't. And they give you energy. I think up to that point, because most of my workouts had been 30 or 45 minutes, like when I exercised or whatever. I had never done workouts for like three or four right. hours mm. long. So the fuel, my diet, what I was taking to my body was no match for the difficulty mm -hmm. and complexity right. and just even the length of the ride. And so realizing, wow, that, that was, a, was a fuel issue for me. And it made me realize for many of us, the diet, what we are taking right. into our mm -hmm. minds and hearts is no match for the complexity and difficulty and challenge of the lives yeah. we are mm -hmm. dealing with. Yeah. We And so in the end, we have lives externally that are busy and frantic and stressful. We have internal lives that are chaotic mm -hmm. and, and noisy and uh, distressing. Um, we have uh, interpersonal relationships that are often marked by conflict or anger or fear and uh, frustration. And then often that results in like addictions and escape and all this kind of stuff right. in our lives. And I thought, man, we have to be honest about the fact that our diet, generally speaking, oh, yeah, exactly. what, what we are taking into our lives is a lot of, and not just what we see in the news and what we experience in our life, but what we choose to watch in mass quantities right. and media mm -hmm. is violent, angry, vindictive, right. um, full of lust, greed, um, and, and just uh, like chaotic and dysfunctional That's like mental junk food right yeah, yeah and like and then even if i just think about like just even not even mind like media but just the what i'm consuming what's going into me and then oftentimes like that media or the food or whatever it is is because i'm trying to deal with the stress and the so mm -hmm. which is like we need something that's going into our lives that is actually going to give us energy, vitality, that's going to grow our character, that's going to help our relationships, that's going to help us make decisions um, to, it, to help us deal with what's going on in our lives. The, the diet, in a sense, of mm -hmm. what we don't have mm -hmm. the right fuel. Right. And maybe just think about when we're talking about scripture in this series, we're talking about this as words for life. 
And, and my mind went to this quote um, from Eugene Peterson, who was the guy who translated right. um, the message, one of the versions of scripture that we read. He says this, we are part of a holy community that for 3,000 years and more has been formed inside and out by these words of God. He's talking about scripture. Mm. Words that have been heard, tasted, chewed, seen, and walked. Reading holy scripture is totally physical. Our bodies are the means of providing our souls access to God in his revelation. Right. Eat this oh, yeah. book. Yeah. You know, when I talked about how the single most important discovery I made about the word was the voice, mm -hmm. parallel to that, almost as important as eat the book. Eat the book. Eat the book. And then it's not just some fancy new idea that Eugene Peterson did. It's everywhere in the Bible. Jeremiah was one of the prophets of God. He said, when your words came, I ate them with delight. John, the, uh, the, the author who wrote the book Revelation, the, the prophetic book that everyone likes to think about, he said, the angel came to him and said, take the scroll, which is a powerful imaginative way of talking about the Bible, eat it, is what he mm -hmm. said. Ezekiel was another prophet. He said, eat and then go and speak. And then the Bible describes itself as uh, mm, bread. Mm -hmm. uh, it describes itself as finest of wheat, uh, water, sweetest of honey. God describes himself as living water. Jesus describes himself as bread. The Holy Spirit describes himself as living water. Mm -hmm. He talks about himself as the cistern of living water and all these other alternates as broken cisterns that don't hold any water. So yeah. everywhere in the Bible it describes itself as food to eat, water to drink, honey to taste and sweet. Yeah. I remember years ago you preaching a message on this, like one of these word metaphors in, in the, the prophet Jeremiah about... God saying to his people, hey, you have dug out cisterns, right. so mm. created wells right. that can't hold any water. Yeah. You know, they're broken, they, they leak, they yeah. don't. And it's this picture of God saying, you need living water. Right. Like, you need bread for life. Right. Um, and Jesus said, yeah, God doesn't, man, human beings are, don't live by physical bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Right. And so we're realizing, man, like if life is complex and, and w look at whether you're someone who's a person of faith or not, whether you've read scripture a lot or not, we can all realize there's this beautiful invitation in the written words of God to come to these words and receive food for life. Right. And it's interesting you mentioned Jesus because, mm. you know, everything kind of goes back to him. Mm. What we Again, what we often forget, yeah, Jesus was God in the flesh, but he was a human being. In yeah. fact, as you yourself have taught me to think so clearly, the incarnation was the beginning of a whole new stream of humanity. So Jesus, when he lived out, this man shall not live by bread alone. He wasn't just teaching that, that's how he actually lived. But he, it, it was not in a sense, okay, Jesus did, so let's copy him. No, no, no. Mm. This is the model for the new humanity the new human, and yeah. we can do it and live. This is what it means to be human. Yeah. And in all the settings in which he did it, for example, fighting temptation. In fact, when he actually said that, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Notice the focus on every, not selective. Every word that flows from the mouth of God. He was actually quoting from Deuteronomy, one of the books that Moses wrote a long time ago. But when he was at the beginning of his ministry being tempted by the devil. So he was living, if you will, in the face of temptation. Using the words of using God. Using God's words. So yeah. there was one way in which he did that. And then, of course, for fuel for ministry, I, there's a beautiful picture of Jesus in that, you know, you referred in one of our earlier conversations about uh, the author of one of the book of Hebrews talking about how God has spoken in many different ways. In that same thing, there's a beautiful picture of Jesus on earth 
coming to God, and if I can paraphrase his words, he says something like, God, you didn't want me to go through religious ritual and going through the motions. I could have done all of that. But I'm coming with this. I'm coming with this. He talked about scroll. It's like mm -hmm. I'm coming with this into your presence because there is a word about me that is written in this scroll and I want to hear you speak to me. Mm -hmm. That's how he lived. He lived by a personal word from God. Mm -hmm. And so it became fuel for his ministry. And then on another occasion, actually the Old Testament prophet Isaiah speaking about Jesus says to him that, uh, you know, people are always amazed at Jesus. Where did this man learn to speak like this? The common people heard him gladly. Tired, persecuted, oppressed people ran to him. Where do you think he got those words from? Way back in the book of Isaiah, and that shaped Jesus thinking so often, he said, God has wakened me up morning by morning to give me an instructed tongue to know the precise word that will sustain weary people. Mm. So in his own personal life, in resisting temptation, in getting fuel for ministry, and in this conversational dialogue with God, mm. Jesus lived and breathed scripture and ate it. Yeah, this is so important because mm. we it's easy to read, even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you can sort of look at Jesus as the supernatural God hero who did all the stuff that nobody else exactly, could do, yeah. right? And that is not actually the picture of what we see in Scripture. We see Jesus, yes, as God and the character and the nature of God, but what we see is a human being fully alive. Right. And we, it, it Dallas Willard, you know, the, the, um, who passed away a, a few years ago, uh, author and uh, teacher, he said, Jesus never expected us to display, I'm paraphrasing, display his superpower way of dealing with exactly, people, yeah. miracles, whatever, without actually adopting his way of life. Right. And I think what you've just described is one of the things that marked Jesus' way of life was he ate <laughs> scripture. Like it was in him. He digested it. This was part of his diet that then allowed him to live the way he lived. So if one sense of like we want to live lives like Jesus, part of it is actually becoming people who eat um, eat this book. Yeah. I mean, don't people say even today we are what we eat? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. This is so true here, right? Totally. Yeah. So we just thought, you know what, uh, as we were talking about this conversation, we would love to just share with you w uh, words that have been life to us, like yeah. ways in which scripture has been food for our life, just yeah. examples. Um, and the, the specifics may or may not resonate with you, but the point is that this is something we have experienced firsthand. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, okay, how do we how do we read it to eat it? <laughs> yeah. How can we transition yeah. our way of reading? Yeah. You know, last week we talked about how do we read it as a voice mm. and, and uh, speaking to us and speaking back. This one is about how do we, how, how is reading eating? And, so, and, and the beautiful thing, uh, spoiler alert you guys call yeah. it, is that they're both the same. Yeah. That's the beautiful, you're not going to have to learn one more new thing. Yeah. But you'll see it from a different angle. Perspective. Yeah. So one of the passages that came up for me was we were talking about this that was 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 food for life. Mm -hmm. When you talk about fighting temptation, I remember as a, as a young person in high school and a young adult, you know, you're battling often uh, either in the relationships, dating relationships, or just like in with sexual temptation mm -hmm. or lust or you know this temptation to use another person for yourself or right. a battling pornography. I mean, we weren't even dealing with it on the internet then. Oh, like, I know. You know, this is a crazy thing. And there was a verse that came to me uh, in those years. I think you actually gave it to me and I prayed this so many times right. and it was so helpful. And it wasn't just that I prayed it when I was like fighting temptation. I prayed it when I felt like temptation had gotten the better of me, ah. when I had failed. Yeah. And this is what it says. And it's a verse in Micah and, it, and it's Israel or the people of God kind of saying to their enemy, don't gloat over me, my enemy. 
though I have fallen, I will rise. Right. Though I sit in darkness, you know, yeah. this feels dark right yeah. now. Right. The Lord will be my light. Right. Because I have sinned against him, ultimately against God, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case mm. and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light and I will see his righteousness. That few verses was food for me on a number of levels. One is it gave me words to say to the enemy when I felt like, because you know when we, when we sin, when we fall, shame just comes in. Yeah, exactly. And I was able to say, don't gloat over yeah. me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, yeah. I will rise. So you don't deny it either. No, and then it says, though I sit in darkness, like this is not, I don't like this. Right. The Lord will be my light. It yeah. was telling me, I'm not meant to dig myself out of this. God comes to me. Right. The enemy's just shaming me. God comes to bring me light. And it says, because I've sinned, I will bear the Lord's wrath. In other words, I'm, I have to live with the consequences right. of this yeah. until he, God, pleads my case mm. and upholds my cause. So now God is not the one accusing me right. in the pit of whatever <laughs> I've dug for myself. The enemy is, I can send him away and God is coming to be right. my light. He's the one who pleads, he's my advocate and I can wait here until he brings me out into the light. And you know why that brings beautiful life? As you're saying it, it's occurring to me, it avoids two extremes that we like. One extreme is, oh, God is so holy, he'll never forgive me, and you're in the pit. Mm -hmm. The other one is, oh, it's no big deal. He's no big a loving God. Yeah. It takes both God seriously and your sin seriously. Yeah. And that's what gives It gives life. me something true. And yeah. this was not just something I, I ate <laughs> once. Yeah, yeah. I ate this a lot, you yeah. know? And, uh, and look, at like, as we sin, as we fall, as we struggle, we need. And yeah. this became this repetitive way of praying <laughs> into hope and faith um, that, that God would heal me and help me. And so and that, you, that's, were, you were doing what Jesus did in the wilderness. You were not living by bread, but by every word words. that proceeds. Yeah. In the, he was Deuteronomy and you were from Micah. Yeah. Well, in my case, for example, it had to do with the whole issue of parenting. I grew up in India, uh, not from a Christ-following background. And one of the gifts that God gave providentially through what theologians call common grace was uh, a happy childhood. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. 
It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. I love that picture of what we hear inviting us to respond. Right. And they use that word obey as like, okay, I'm, I'm moving. There's a movement in my life. To hear is to respond. I also loved how that's not just about, oh, when God speaks to us, we obey, we respond. But when we speak to him, we are inviting him to act in our lives right. and through mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. So, okay, practically speaking, how do we use scripture for prayer? Um, I think the encouraging thing for me is if scripture is just a uh, theological reference book, then some of it can, that I read can be helpful. Some of it's going to be confusing. It's not going to help me understand God. Mm. If it's just a moral principles, rules for life, I mean, some of it's really not like half of the, all half of the Old Testament law is that it doesn't even apply. I don't have oxen that my, my neighbor stole and stuff like this. Like some of that stuff's not going to be helpful if it's yeah. just a rule for like, if it's just like, hey, encouraging shot in the arm. There's a lot of things in there that are not so encouraging yeah. or just hard to understand. So it can't always be used for that, but it can always be used. That's the point. For prayer. Exactly. Um, and that, if you talk about what was a revolutionary idea for you, revolutionary idea for me was, okay, that means everything I read, every time I read it, um, there is a potential for a conversation with yeah, God. Yeah. With God, the one I love, the one who yeah. loves me, the one I struggle sometimes to feel close to. Mm -hmm. Every time I read, it doesn't happen all the time in rich and deep ways because yeah. it's just, I'm human. But you know, even that's like real conversation. Yes. You know how suddenly you said, oh, I'm going to have dinner with my wife today and it turns out to be an evening where we didn't get much talking done, right? Or that's this very rarely <laughs> happens and I know almost never in your life it turns into an argument or yeah. like, oh, that did not go well. But the amazing thing is that's conversation too. Yes. That's the whole point, Okay, right? so let's talk about yeah. that. How, okay. if, if I'm sitting here listening going, okay, if I've never read the Bible or I'm taking another run at it now because we're doing this series or whatever, or I've started this Bible reading plan that we've recommended. How do I use what I'm reading for prayer? Okay. Before I give the illustration, there are two things I need to say to the people. First of all, please don't look at these examples and say, oh, I'll never get the... I have been on this journey for 37, 38 years. So don't worry. These are only illustrations the way you might get there. Secondly, a mental picture that has helped me a lot is when you're reading the Bible, if it is God speaking, 
what would happen if you imagine that you were not actually reading but that God was sitting across the table from you by the way he actually is there mm -hmm. he's everywhere so that if these are not just printed words conveying information but somebody is saying them to you mm -hmm. that exercise yeah, of good. imagination yeah. has really helped me so let me give you some examples of them and the beautiful thing is I don't have to try and make anything happen it's not up to me a prayer is a responsive speech. Somebody else has to initiate it, right? So you don't have to make anything happen. You just have to listen, be alert. Mm -hmm. For example, one time I was reading of all places in Job, you know, that book of a long, long suffering. I just happened to read this one day. Uh, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead and engraved in rock forever. Now you might say, What's so inspiring about that word? Yeah. And I don't know how many times I read it, but four years ago, I was reading it. Oh, that my words were recorded. Did, and I was reading it on an iPhone. And it suddenly occurred to me, if Job wrote this about three, four thousand years ago, hoping that his words might be recorded, he died without ever knowing that his words were recorded, read for thousands of years, and now brought broadcast over the whole digital world hmm. where millions of people are listening to Job's words. <laughs> and here's an Indian born in India, walking in the city of Toronto on an iPhone reading this. And I thought, oh my goodness, what an incredible sovereign God we serve. Hmm. And it was just a few moments of praise after that. Mm -hmm. I mean, who would have thought from this, yeah. oh, that my words were recorded, you know? Yeah. I, I read them. Did I, was I reading a commentary? No. Yeah. Something suddenly happened. And it didn't happen the first time I read. Maybe the thirtieth time. I don't know. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. So that's well, what, that makes yeah. me. That would make me pray if I read it to say, right. you know, if I was feeling insignificant or wondering, yeah. is my life making a difference? Yeah. Is what I'm doing matter? You know, yeah. and we can struggle with that a lot of us for all kinds of reasons. Just a little window to go. We don't see the long story. Uh, totally. You know, Job yeah. had no idea. Yeah. So that would make me say, okay, God, help me. Help me know that I'm part of a bigger story, that even if I don't see how everything is making a difference, to still be honest with you and sincere and engage in what I'm doing or in my life. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, 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 this is so important. Did you notice what happened just now? I gave an illustration of how that same scripture came across to me as initiating speech where God was pointing to himself and saying, this is how great I am. So I praised him. Vijay hears that. His response isn't praise. His response is petition. Lord, help me. This is exactly what I mean. Two very different responses to the same initiating speech. I'm more narcissistic. Yeah. Than <laughs> I think that's why. No, 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 no. <laughs> because I also did that. Yeah. And then the next thing I did, but the same thing is in addition to uh, praise, I also started praying for the suffering church. The persecuted church is something that God has put on my heart in recent years. And I thought when they are lamenting away in a prison somewhere, hmm. What if they could pray this? These are Lord. Christians who are in prison because yeah, of their right. faith. And yeah, stuff. many of yeah. them. So Lord, oh, that my words were written mm. and how many stories were written much later on about that. It's an absolutely beautiful story. So here's something completely different. One time I was reading in Proverbs 19, chapter 11. This time, if, so there it was uh, something about God that made me praise and petition. Sometimes it's a, it's a sin. I'm reading in Proverbs 19, 11, just in my regular Bible reading. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is a man's glory to overlook an offense. I read that. I said, who? You know why? Because I just had an argument with Sham the day before. And I didn't feel that I got my point across. And I was thinking about, I need to say something. How am I going to get my point across? That wasn't the whole story. And all of a sudden, I'm reading this. Good sense makes one slow to anger. 
I thought, okay, God, that's, I'm not being a man of good sense right now. Mm. So I confessed. And then it is his glory to overlook an offense. You want real glory? You want to make your case to your wife so you will be glorious? No, you want real glory? Overlook the offense. Where would I have learned that? Yeah. And that wasn't even on my agenda, but he wanted to talk to me about my attitude towards the argument that I had with Sham the day before. I was all about promoting myself and defending my glory. So there I had to confess mm -hmm. and then I had to pray that the next time it happened, I would be a man of good sense, that he would, that the Holy Spirit would remind me of this. Mm. Two prayers that were not part of my agenda for that day. Another layer of what's happening in that moment yeah. is you are able to see that God is intimately involved oh, in your man, life. Oh, man, the ever, right? Yeah. Right? Like that he is involved in your life yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And again, we said this, you can read the Bible and say, oh, God doesn't exist, or I don't believe this is just strange. And, and okay, some people have concluded that. But when you read it regularly and you are treating and understanding this is a voice with a living God, you are giving that living God the opportunity to speak to you in the moment uh -huh. as a real conversation. Yeah. It isn't just dealing with you in that moment of like your relationship with your spouse. It's helping you see God is real. Mm -hmm. He's right here. <laughs> he is intimately involved in my marriage, in my life and speaking to me. So anyways, that's, that's a... And, and then another thing that happened, you know, when you talk about reading the Bible every year over and over again, precisely because multiple responses are valid for the same initiating speech. You can read the same thing the next time, not as information, because you already know it, but you read it as responsive speech. It's amazing. And by the way, sometimes you will read the same scripture in a different setting. I remember in one of the, the biographies of Jesus, Luke, the, the, the doctor, he records about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, who, who was describing himself as a voice crying in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. I know that story very well, but one year I was in the city of India uh, on a train through the suburbs of Bombay, passing many, many people who were very poor, saw so much poverty in India, millions and millions of people, and all of a sudden I, I was struggling with meaning and purpose. <laughs> and then I read this story mm -hmm. about a voice crying in the wilderness. It was like God said to me, don't worry about all that. You are a voice crying in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. You are preparing the way for Jesus to come into people's lives. And all of a sudden, depression gave way to anticipation and I began to pray about where I was going to speak that morning. Yeah. I'd read that before in Toronto the previous year and it didn't speak to me. Yeah. But in India, mm -hmm. on a train, mm -hmm. going to speak someplace, a very different word. Yeah. When, when you, your experience could threaten to like just push you down right. and neutralize the whole reason you were going there to equip and encourage yeah. pastors and the yeah. churches in this very hard place. Yeah, talk about encouragement. Yeah, right? mm. so good. Okay, one more. I think we should talk about yeah. ugly, ugly emotions. Yeah, huh? yeah that's good. Yeah, um, what, do you, what, what do you do with this one? Where they are praying. This is in their praise song book, right? Their hymn book. Imagine what would happen if a verse in your hymn book was O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. Happy is he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. End of song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember seeing that one in church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you feel? Because Babylon was where they, Babylon was their captives. And they treated people cruelly, unbelievable. This is what were done to Jewish babies. They were dashed against the rock. And so there's this cry for vengeance. Which one of us has not known injustice? Not all of us have known the same amount. I haven't known much providentially. But some of us who've known serious injustices and miscarriage verses know the feeling of anger, the desire for revenge. What is this doing in, this, in our prayer book? 
because God wants to teach us to pray about ugly emotions in our mm -hmm. life. We won't park there because then yeah. it'll destroy us, mm -hmm. but we have to start there. Yeah. And then he takes us somewhere else after. Yeah, that's really important. And, and I think this is a, a missing piece in our prayer lives. It's a missing piece in our worship songs mm -hmm. uh, in one sense, like because um, maybe in the past in, in several decades ago, in general, people were taught to suppress their, you know, the quote, the negative emotions, right. mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, even the those they said that you know Tom Brokaw's the greatest generation right is that is that him who named them I, I can't remember so. yeah. but the coming back from the war right and yeah. basically the emotional taps turned off because of is the that? trauma that they had witnessed and so you know, this whole generation of people growing up are just not really expressing emotions I feel like now uh, through art music and and the modern generation we swung the other way and emotions are all out there um, the the m people love the they don't want empty songs and fake movies with where people don't die and it's all real and right. which is wonderful in one sense like we are being far more honest um in, in the world i don't know if the church has caught up necessarily because even many of our songs i was listening to bono the other day uh talking about how he got captured by eugene peterson's translation of the message bono mm -hmm. the lead singer of one of the greatest bands of all time you too and he said i as an artist and a christian he said, I just always felt like the church was so dishonest mm. about its emotions. And right. he said, then I started reading the message translation yeah. of the Psalms, right. which were so raw and open. And I think, yes, it's good that we are open with our emotions, but if we're not praying them to God um, and we just let them out, we're letting them out on each other. Yeah. We're letting them out. And that may feel good in the moment in a catharsis. You know, everyone, every, it always feels good to blow up at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we do it. Yeah. But then later, <laughs> we feel terrible, and the relationships are, are destroyed. And I, one of the, another one line I picked up along the way, we become like the object of our emotional focus. Hmm. So if our emotional focus is the people who have committed injustices against us, and we remain there, we're going to become angry people. We're going to become like the evil that we hate. Yeah. Although my shorts over there. But praying our hatred, and again with Eugene Peterson who helped me, Praying our hatred and praying our anger slowly allows us to move from hatred and anger to s lamentation to suffering until that pain becomes redemptive. Yeah, and lamentation, another word for that is sadness. Sadness, right? yeah, and that's it's all over the It's just getting past that. Yeah. And so, yeah, instead of racism begetting racism, hate begetting hate, right. like anger inventions begetting, begetting vengeance, right? These prayers, though they are honest and hateful and right. wanting revenge or whatever, yeah. we are, when we pray them to God, we're saying, God, I, I feel all these things. I'm not hiding it from you right. anyways. You, you know it anyway. But I'm trusting you to, right. you are the God of justice. You are the one who has the perfect sense of justice. So I'm letting it all out in front of and in the presence of God. And because we're not good at it, we need training. Yeah. And that's why the Psalms are so helpful. Yeah, the words are so helpful. So books like Lamentations, many of the Psalms, right. they are Psalms of lament, like sadness, Psalms of anger, psalms of what we call imprecatory that are that are revenge that yeah. are but all of that is directed towards god yeah. and like you said so we become the object of our emotions the object of our emotions is god we become more like him exactly that's the and point. it's teaching us to trust him with vengeance trust and that's why it's good that god is a judge 
it's good that God is just. That's exactly right. The point. If he yeah. was this sort of passive, two degrees removed grandfather saying, "Hey, I love everyone," yeah. you know, and I'm fine. You know, everything's fine. Don't be upset with people. Like that's not good. It's interesting. People who have suffered a lot in their lives don't have anywhere near as much trouble with the holiness and justice of God mm-hmm. as people who haven't. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that uh, a couple of ways that these kinds of approaches where we let the text over time um, not every day but mm. over time draw us into prayer and give us words for conversation and be fuel like you said imagining which is true jesus is there right. having this conversation with we speak back it does a couple of things um i think one is it, it lets god initiate the conversation right. with us because mm. sometimes we come into our prayers and we get all this list of stuff we want to pray to god and we can but there are times in many ways where God has other things he wants to talk to us mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you gave that example of um, Proverbs, the glory to overlook an offense. Right. I don't know if you're coming into that scripture reading thinking, how do I get better as a husband, no, <laughs> you know, no. right? But God wants that because yeah. he wants that for you. He yeah. wants you to have a good marriage. Right. He wants your, your, you know, to be reconciled in conflict. Mm-hmm. So God has things to say to us that are different than sometimes what is on our hearts. Right. And so when we let him speak first by listening, and not just in silence, listening to begin. I, I'm beginning now my prayer times in silence, mm-hmm. reading. I just yeah. wait and stop yeah. just to quiet my heart. Right. But then allow the words to speak. Right. It allows him to drive the agenda. Yeah. And I do want what he wants for me. Yeah, and I, one, one thing that's probably important to add here is that this might create a question in some people. So, okay, I get it. I get what you're saying about God setting the agenda. But does that mean that I can never pray about the agenda that I already have on my heart? Like what if I came that morning quite exercised about my marriage? Mm -hmm. Does this apply? No, it applies just as much. The important thing is that even when there is a pressing issue on your own heart, rather than immediately go into God's presence and start talking about it, listen once again. Read once again to see what he might say about that. So mm. you might set the broad agenda, mm-hmm. but he shapes what we pray for even there. So the principle applies whether he sets even the agenda that you're praying about or whether he informs how he wants you to pray about what is the yeah. burning issue in your He's heart. He's teaching us how in, to live In both cases, it works that way. I think the other thing, and you gave this example too, but that made me think about it. It shows us that God loves us. Like when we hear him speak oh a word into so our good. lives mm-hmm. that is timely, that is helpful, that is instructive, that is encouraging, that is redirecting, you realize, oh God, you see me. You know my situation. You know what was on my heart. You know what I was dealing with yesterday. And again, it doesn't happen every day, but every time it does, it reminds me how close God is to my situation. It made me think about a a story that Nikki Gumbel shared in the Alpha Course about something that was very heavy on his heart and how God's voice through scripture came to him multiple times to speak to him about it and bring peace to his heart. I I want you to watch Nikki here just for a couple minutes as he tells the story of of how that happened because I think it's a beautiful illustration of God knowing what we need and using right. our reading, mm-hmm. our scripture, the words of life to give us life. To develop a regular pattern of reading the Bible each day and praying that God would speak to you. It's an amazing experience when he does. I think back, for example, to when my father died in 1981. My parents, when, when I became Christian, they were, they were Neither of them were churchgoers and they were a bit worried about it. My mother eventually became a committed Christian, but my father really was always a bit um, 
cautious, I would say, about my faith and never certainly gave any indication that he had a faith. And so when he died, of course, I missed him. I was, I was very shocked by his death. But, but for me, there was an added ingredient. I was concerned about whether he, he had a faith or not, whether he was a Christian. And about 10 days after he died, I was reading the Bible and I sensed God speaking to me through a verse. And it was in Romans 10, 13, which says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I sensed God saying to me through that verse, your father did call on me and he was saved. And that was so reassuring. But at that moment, Pippa, my wife, came into the room and she said, I've just been reading a verse which I think is for your father. It's from Acts 2.21. And it says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It was quite extraordinary because that verse only appears twice in the New Testament. She'd read it in one part, I read it in another. And then three days later, we went to this small group where we were studying the Bible and we happened to be studying Romans 10. Particularly, we were looking at verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So like I say, three times in three days, God seemed to have spoken to me through that same verse. But such was my lack of faith that the next morning as I was going to work, I was still worrying about that, that question. And as I got out of the underground, I looked up and there was, on the station, there was this huge great billboard. And on it, it said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. I remember saying to a, a friend, telling him the story about what had happened, and he said to me, do you think the Lord may be trying to speak to you? Well, we didn't want to just kind of talk about all of this without actually having a chance to right. do this mm -hmm. together, to practice it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to lead you through a bit of a listening uh, prayer exercise through Scripture, through a couple of passages, both as illustrative of what you can do, but also hopefully today that you can be able to hear God's voice um, to you. And so um, I'm going to just quickly uh, reference uh, uh, something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 uh, when he was talking to people. And he said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye or, you know, your, your peer, your friend, your neighbor, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Uh, this kind of, just this idea of saying, hey, before we are critical and thinking about what somebody else in our life needs to do and change, let's reflect on our own lives, mm -hmm. what is in our lives. It's really an invitation, uh, really, from, from Jesus to confess, to look inside. And so what I want you to do now is just, um, I want you to think about um, a, a relationship that's close to you that maybe is one that you've been in conflict with, like someone, like a possibly like a between you and a, and a child or you and a parent, you and a sibling, an uncle or aunt, a cousin or a spouse uh, or a close friend, um, just somebody that you have had some relational, a, a difficult conflict with. Um, and that may come easily to mind. Maybe it's been on your heart even as you are watching today or 
somebody that's just close to you that you want to work on that relationship. You want to grow. You want to get better in that relationship. And so whoever that person is, just bring that to mind now. And then what I want to do is actually give us some time for Scripture to be a voice for the Holy Spirit to speak to us about this relationship. And the other passage that came to mind um, for us in this was uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul describes what love is. And I'm going to read it briefly for you, and then I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes of time to reflect and let uh, God's voice speak to you. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Mm -hmm. And so I want to give you a moment. We're going to take three minutes in total, just of silence, and you're going to see those words that are on the screen there that describe the plank that might be in our own eyes, um, where we maybe have not been loving. And so I want you to use these words from 1 Corinthians from the Apostle Paul to look at yourself and just let God speak to you. You don't have to be on like some sin search in you, but just say, Lord, is there anything about these words you want to speak to me about my life, about something I need to change or grow in mm. or what ways I can become more loving uh, in this particular relationship that's come to mind? So we're just going to give you three minutes to time to both reflect, to listen first. Remember, listen to how God's speaking, maybe one of those words. And then when you hear, just silently in your mind and heart, you can respond with a prayer back to God about this relationship that he has brought to mind. So we're going to take three minutes and do that now.
Well, I hope that was helpful for you in being able to hear God's voice and uh, to uh, know that he's inviting you into a conversation and not just on this particular thing that you're praying through, but that this is a way we can read and engage with God in our relationship with him to know that he sets the agenda, to hear him speaking words of ti timely life into us. Um, and so we're encouraging you through this series, if you haven't started already, to try out the whole story Bible reading plan that you can find on YouVersion. Uh, you can see it on the screen there uh, for you as well. And again, hopefully this has given you a new way to think about as you read, not just something you should do, not just, uh, you know, that is a good practice, but Jesus in the room speaking to you through the living words, speaking through the written words, inviting you into a conversation with him. So I'd encourage you to just uh, jump on that if you haven't yet. And if you have, just to uh, see it as, a, as an opportunity for conversation with God. And a question that's going to come to your mind, it comes to mind is, okay, so what? If I do this, if I accept this invitation, and I think you've got me hooked enough, am I going to get amazing answers to my prayers? You may, you may not. But we've been using human conversations throughout as an analogy to help us think about this. Well, if you had a really significant, meaningful conversation with an individual, a close individual, well, you don't walk away from one conversation completely transformed. But what if you were to have that kind of conversation many times over with the significant individuals in your life? Then you will begin to see transformation. Like so many things in our life with God, things happen slowly and below the surface until all of a sudden we find ourselves changed. So the real question is not what happens to my prayers. But what happens to me? I mean, imagine if you went through this exercise of reading scripture like this, of thinking about situations that are on your heart and thinking about what God's word speaks into that situation and to let that fashion my prayer. What kind of a person will you become 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? What do you think God's real agenda is? It's all about you and me becoming more like Jesus.